Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church podcast. My name is Hank. I'm the Connections Pastor here at the Foundry Church. From all of us here, I just wanted to say thank you for making us a part of your weekly routine and for listening to our sermon series. We hope this podcast blesses you and helps you understand God a little bit differently as you pursue a better you and a better world. We're currently in our Vaikra series, which is a study of the book of Leviticus. It may seem a little odd to be studying Leviticus, but we believe Leviticus has a lot to offer here in 2019. So we're going to send it over now to one of our services where you hopefully will understand a little bit more about Leviticus. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't been here, you've missed a ton of stuff, and I'm not going to recap it. Um, but we are, <laughs> I'll recap a little, but we are, uh, we wrap up the series this week. We begin a whole new series next week, what I'm really, really excited for. We're going to be calling it The Head and the Heart, and we're going to be talking about, like, embracing our humanity as we follow the divine. It's going to be really, really good. I hope that you'll plan to be here. Um, the format is going to change a little bit. I think we're going to go maybe even back to the low stage, go back to the round. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, also next week, we're going to be doing a, um, kind of a recap of the surveys that you guys have filled out and turned in. If you haven't done that, uh, talk to somebody. I don't know. Um, there, there's surveys around, uh, but we, we've heard everything you guys said. We've looked at what you said. And so uh, we'll give you some of the results from that so you can see what you guys are all thinking collectively, and uh, as well as kind of like here's some of our responses to some of the things you said. A lot of good stuff. We're very grateful for that, for your insight. For your honesty, um, that's helpful to us. Most of it is helpful to us. Um, But yeah, so uh, come back for that as well. So this week, we wrap up chapter 10. Uh, and we, um, what we see is that we've, we've covered a bunch, uh, even going back to last series, chapters 1 through 7, they were, uh, they were, the people are given these r- rituals to help embody a new way of ordering the world. In chapter 8, the priests are set apart, they're ordained, they're commissioned, they are going to be the ones who are going to give the example to all the people. In chapter 9, the priests begin this new job and they carry out the rituals that are laid out through chapters 1 through 7. And then uh, when they do, God appears to all the people and the people shout for joy and they fall face down. Now, if you go back for, to like Exodus to where this thing starts and you go all the way to Leviticus chapter 9, where we're at in the story... It's like, this is everything they could have hoped for. They go from being slaves living in Egypt with the absence of God to being a free people in the wilderness with the presence of God appearing to all the people. This is like the moment. This is the big thing. It's talked about this is the eighth day. Remember, this is a sign of the new creation. It's a fresh start, so to speak. They get to participate in the ongoing unfolding of this new creation. And so chapter 10, chapter 10 is this like first moment where we get to see what they will do with all of it, right? All this build up, build up. Here's, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. It. They're going to follow him. Here's, okay, gear out these rituals. And now it's like, it's like uh, first week on the job. All right, so chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, they put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. That's a big line. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. 
Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncles, Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp as Moses ordered. Okay, wait a second. Wait, what just happened? They're off to this, they got this fresh start, this whole new, this clean slate. They've, we've gone through the past three weeks, um, everything we've been talking about, the importance of the role of the priest. We've talked about the microcosm of the story of creation. We've talked about the elevation of the everyday. We've talked about the attention to the details. And then this is where it leads like this story, the priests have gone through the ordination, all these commands, all these rules, waiting for seven days in the first week into the job, and they offer unauthorized fire, whatever that is, and the presence of the Lord comes out and kills them, and they die before the Lord. Well, that didn't last long, did it? I mean, that was like pretty quick. What a weird sort of story. Right, so as we've seen in chapters 8 and 9, 8 and 9 are about the strict adherence to the very specific commands and instructions. Do this like this, do that like that. Uh, and, and then the first chance that they're like set free to operate within their own, they make a mess of things. And then they die. And so then the rest of chapter 10 is like the fallout. It's the aftermath of this tragedy, uh, of this thing that has happened. And so we're going to continue through this and then we'll circle back, okay? So let's continue on the story. Verse 6. Then Aaron's, uh, Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt. Do not tear your clothes or you will die. The Lord will be angry with the whole community. So their brothers are killed. And Moses is talking about their hair. Like keep your hair nice and tidy. Well, there's these like standard grieving processes at the time. And that was part of it, like letting the hair go a bit. And so what he essentially is saying is like, um, I know there's a normal grieving process for this stuff, but this is not for you. This is not for you to do right now. Like, you're going to carry on as normal, he says to the, brother, or to the brothers who just had their brothers killed. Let's carry on in verse 6. But to your relatives, all the Israelites, they may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing is on you. And so they did as Moses said. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is the lasting ordinance for generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Now, this is kind of a, kind of a, a big deal. God says... No drinking on the job. That's not the, that's not the big deal part. But the concept of it is, right? Like, um, no drinking on the job. And the reason is so that you can have a clear mind so that you can make distinctions between the clean and the unclean. And this is what, like, the next few chapters, like 11 through 15, I think, are, are all about. It's like this holiness code sort of thing. Um, verse 12, Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons... Uh, Eleazar and Ithamar, take the grain offering left over from the food offering prepared without yeast and present it to the Lord and eat, eat it beside the altar for it is most holy. So notice that little line there, his remaining sons, because he's just lost two of his sons. So they get some more instructions about the ritual. Skip down to verse 16. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, 
Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is the most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement to them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary as I commanded. So in the aftermath of their brother's death, these other two sons of Aaron, they're continuing in the rituals. And what we see now is that they aren't following the instructions. And Moses gets angry at them. You've eaten the goat in the wrong place. It's like when I yell at my kids. I said, eat it at the table, not at the couch. It's important stuff. This might be a little bit more serious. Um, so he's not happy with these dudes, and he's letting them know it. And you might have this thought like, hey, Moses, like maybe, maybe could you cut them a break? Like their brothers just died, and, and now you're like on them about doing the wrong thing. Thing. And so Moses is getting on these guys' case, and then Aaron, their, their dad, chimes in, and he sticks up for his kids. Watch what Aaron does. They're getting yelled at. Aaron replied to Moses, today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things of this have happened to me. You know, like my two sons just died. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. So Aaron is like, hey, Moses, we're kind of going through a lot right now, you know, like two of my sons are dead, and they just got carried outside of camp, like in their tunics, and then these two, they did their job, right, and, and now you're giving them a hard time because they didn't do the, and Aaron's like, well, puts the question back to Moses, like, would it have been better if it was me, would God have been okay with it if, it, if it was me who did this thing, and like, would you have yelled at me as well? And then when Moses heard this, it says he was satisfied. What? Like, that's how the chapter ends. That's the end of the, of the book. It's a strange story. This is one of those stories you look at and you're like, why is this in here? Like, what's happening? You have two of Aaron's sons get killed for doing the wrong things. They're removed from camp. And then you have two of Aaron's other sons who also do the wrong things. But then they just get yelled at. And then Aaron's like... Hey, could you cut us some slack? It's been a rough week. And Moses is like, okay. Right? Like, it's a weird story. Like, what in the world? And what does that have to do with us? This 3,000-year-old, what does that have to do with us and what we're living and how we're, especially in light of the things and the events of this week, what does that have to speak to us today? So a few things. Um, why, would such a, an extreme, why was such an extreme response uh, given to these priests, these two that authorize this unauthorized fire. we got to talk about this. Like, why was it so extreme? Go back to verse 1. Uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers. They put, them in fi uh, put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So that's the big line in this thing, contrary to his command. Is it really that big a deal, though? I mean, like, it's just a little incense. It's just a little fire, maybe without some permission, but... Is it that big a deal? Well, yeah, it, it kind of is in light of like the whole thing that's happening in this passage, contrary to his command. That, that's the big line. If you remember like in week one, we talked about this, how there's this like super repetitive line uh, kind of uh, th phrasing that happens over and over again through chapters eight and nine, and we talked about it might just be a setup for chapter 10. Well, this is like the moment, right? It's like God told Moses to do this, and then Moses commanded the people to do this, and then the people did this, and then God said, good job, Moses, for doing this. And Moses said, thank you, God. We're glad we did this. And it's like this like repetitive, God said do this, and they did it. God 
God said do this and they did it. God said do this and they did it. And then we get to this moment here and the sons of Aaron do something contrary to the commands of God. So eight and nine have been like this setup because you're getting used to this pattern. God said and they did. God said and they did. God's, God commanded and they did. And then all of a sudden they get this freedom and they get on their own and you have this first moment and it says they do something contrary to his commands. So this has all been a setup for us to see this moment. See this moment. And obviously, right, like obviously the moral to the story in all of this is do what God says or die. That's, that's, the, that's the lesson, obey or else, because you should always live in fear of a loving God. That's, mm. so for some people, they may read the story and that's what they take out of it, right? Now, there are, so, there are uh, some people that believe this wasn't necessarily a literal death, but it could be a metaphorical one. We don't have time for that. Either way, there's a bigger thing that's happening under this story, right? The bigger thing is this. God is trying to teach these people, these former slaves, a new way to live, a new way to be in the world, that there is a new way to order things in this current world. Um, and everything we've talked about is about how the details matter because there are the extensive lists and commands uh, that God has given them that are all about how do we now make this life. We've been given this freedom. How do we shape this world in a new way that brings glory and honor to this God? These rituals that they are given, they're about becoming a new kind of people they're not about becoming slaves again. So these things that may seem somewhat insignificant apart from one another, when you put them all together, it's the difference between this people group forging ahead to a whole new way of life or reverting back to what was. It's about will we be a people who live in freedom in this new ordering with this God and how he's commanded, or will we go back to being slaves to this stuff? whatever that stuff may be. It's the difference between life and death, but not life and death of like the individual, but like the life of this community to give birth to something new into the world, to be something different, or like death uh, by becoming just like every other tribe and every other nation. You see how that, so it's a bit like if you've ever tried to quit something, if you try to give up something, try to, maybe you've got some hang-ups, whatever. Maybe you've tried to quit smoking, quit drinking, quit overeating, whatever it is. And somebody comes to you and say, like, well, it's just, a, it's just one drink. Well, it's just one cigarette. Well, it's just one piece of cake. No, it's not. It's, like, way bigger than that. If you've been liberated from those things, you know it's not just one drink. So what's the big deal? It's just a little bit of incense. It's just a little thing. No, it's not. Because getting the details right in this moment is absolutely huge for the people and for the future of the world. When you understand the context of what God is doing with these people, you begin to see what's at stake. These guys don't take their role seriously, and there's this casualness about it. And as the story goes, they die because of it. Now remember, the whole tabernacle and the priestly role is a reflection of, of all of creation. And creation is about distinctions, right? God separates the light from dark, the land from sea, the water from the... He creates plants and animals all according to their kinds. The distinctions are important because the distinctions are what makes our world our world. So what's the big deal? This bit about the offering of unauthorized fire, in light of everything that we've been talking about, in light of the question of is it even possible to create a new sort of world, to take these people from slavery and give them a new way to live and be in the world, 
is it even a thing that's possible for us to do? The actions of Aaron and his sons, or Aaron's sons, by not following the details, the instructions that affect the ordering, call the whole thing into question. It, 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 it puts it all into jeopardy. They're the ones who have been set aside. They're the ones who have been anointed to be the ones to teach everyone else this new ordering. And so when they don't follow the instructions, the whole thing, like, the whole thing is, is jeopardy. It's all in jeopardy now. Because they're the ones to teach the other ones who are supposed to teach the other ones because the whole thing is expanding. And so if the ones at the center of it aren't doing the right things, and it's not just that they did the wrong thing, it's that the whole thing could co collapse underneath them. Now, a couple other thoughts and concepts about this chapter. Last week, we talked about the idea of risk. We talked about uh, how, how the whole story of the Bible is a bit risky. Uh, when you think about it, when you go through this thing, God creates humans. He says, here, I'm going to give you this. He makes creation. And then he creates humans. He says, here, I want you to take care of this. And then he gives human, humanity free will. And so we get to choose whether we will take this thing and do something beautiful and good with it. Or we get to use our free will for the sake of self and do something else with it. Because humans, as human beings, we have this capacity within us that God has given us. That God is the role that God has given us. That we have the capacity to tilt this whole thing in a particular direction. Remember, we talked about my three-year-old and having a bowl of milk and carrying this bowl of milk very carefully to the table. Right? There's a good chance that he could spill it, that he could make a mess of the whole thing. When you look at the Bible as a whole, what you see is this radical, insane idea. I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. Like, there's this idea that God is, to some degree, self-limiting. What do you mean? Oh, I mean, I could take the bowl of milk and cereal to the table, or I can let my kid do it. Because the real joy of being a father, of being a parent, is watching my son, my daughter, who I created in my own image, who I love without condition, the real joy is in watching them do the thing, is in watching them grow up and develop, and watching them get the bowl of milk to the table. Right, so God creates Adam and Eve, and, and, and he says, I want you to be the ones to guide and shape and, and form creation. And then you have um, God rescuing the, the, the Hebrew people from Egypt and saying things like, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and that through you the whole world will know what, what, what I am like. And then you get in the New Testament, and you have this other group of people called the ecclesia, the called out ones, and, 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 and God tells them, like, people will know who you are. They will know me because of your love. Right? It, they're the ones that are doing the thing that God has asked. So over and over again, God is willing put it, willingly putting his image into the hands of people. It's crazy. In, in Leviticus, God's honor and reputation and holiness is tied to how these people as a nation, as a people group, live. God puts his reputation into the hands of these former slaves who are wandering through the desert. God's reputation is tied to this group of normal people, and even this God's priest, Aaron and his sons, are ordinary dudes. And then what we see is the first chance they get, they make a mess of things. Right? And, the, and the way the story is told is interesting because it's, very, it's a very straightforward sort of thing. Like, okay, they showed up, they made a mess, they die, they move the bodies, let's keep going, the story moves on. Like, Moses doesn't seem surprised. He's not like, oh my gosh, can you believe what happened? We don't hear anything from God like, I didn't see that one coming, right? 
By the way, if you're, <laughs> I heard some guy say the other day, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? <laughs> Anyways, it, you have to think through it. It takes a minute. Um, so first chance they get to make a mess of things. And the story is told very straightforward. Uh, if you go back to verse 8, watch, watch what happens. Watch, because this is God's response to the whole thing. Verse 8 through 11. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink, whether you go to this tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Check that line, though. That's fascinating. Also, by the way, there's a whole bunch of stuff like uh, in the realm of scholarly work that talks about how part of this, yes, there's this thing about um, having, uh, being able to distinguish, but part of it might have been something to do with uh, why they couldn't drink was because there was other nations and their priests, part of the rituals were drinking, and so we're trying to be different here or whatever. So this is a lasting ordinance for generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and so that you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Now, why is this interesting? Well, because Aaron's sons make a mess of things, and God, uh, who could go, well, you made a mess, I'm out. You spilled the milk, you're on your own. Good luck cleaning that up. I hope you figure out your life. No, God doesn't abandon or neglect or, or run away. Like, he actually kind of like doubles down here. Which is the crazy part of the story. Like, he doesn't, he, he, they, they go through this giant failure, this giant trauma, and then he, like, goes, oh, this is, don't drink, but this is going to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. And that last line, so you can teach the Israelites, right? This guy who is in charge of these sons and the priests and all this stuff is told by God, you're going to be the one to keep this whole thing moving forward. Like, we're not stopping, we're not going backwards, we're not undoing, we're not, we're going to keep this thing moving forward. There's something about this, in this moment, there's this insistence that God's grace is continually moving us forward. You see, and what's interesting about chapter 10 is that when you, when you look at chapter 10 as a whole and like the story that it tells, um, chapter 10 to me is like a snapshot for the entirety of the scripture, it's a snapshot of the whole thing. This is the picture of the whole text. Uh, in Genesis, let's go back again. God creates. He says it's good, it's good, it's good. Humans are given responsibility to steward creation. In chapter 3, they make a mess of it. We know that story. Then in Exodus, you have these former slaves who are, who are told to build this tabernacle and travel through the desert, this wilderness, and God will be with you. And they're doing this. And then by chapter 32 in Exodus... They don't know how to handle this God because this God is not like other gods. This God is different, and they're not sure what to do with it. So they build this golden calf so they can bow down to worship it because they understand that. They understand those walls, those parameters of what it means to worship that God. Then in Leviticus, you have this idea of the eighth day. It's the first day of a new week of creation. Another chance to bring a new ordering to the world, into existence. And then you get into chapter 10, and we have another Mess, But by the end of chapter 10, the message is, okay, let's keep going. There's this larger pattern here that we see happening over and over. People make a mess. God cleanses, forgives, restores, redeems, and then invites everyone back to himself all over again. Right, so you can, you can find pictures of an angry, wrathful God in the Old Testament. It's in there. It's in this one. It's like, do this or die. 
right? You can find that. That's in there. But it's also because that's how the people of this time and this place, as they're putting the story together, that's how they understood the gods to function. It's a story that's 3,000 years old. It's a people from 3,000 years ago trying to interpret things that they don't understand. They can only understand God through the lens, through the worldview that they were given, which is through the lens of the other gods that they've seen the other peoples around them worship. Right? And this is what makes God, this Bible so incredible is because this God is so vastly different from anything they've ever experienced, but they still have to sort through like their worldview and what was handed to them. It's just like us. We do the exact same thing. If you grew up in a particular church with a particular background, a particular domination, you have a particular understanding of God. And then when there's this other idea or concept that might be contrary to what you were handed of what God is, and all of a sudden you go, well, I'm just not sure. Or you try to interpret this new picture of God through the old picture of God. It's this idea, Jesus talks about this thing of new wineskins and old wineskins, and it's hard to put new wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins are brittle. And they will break because of the fermentation process. You see, it's a difficult thing. And so these people are trying to understand this God in, in, in this new world, in this sense of freedom, in a whole new sort of way. And it's a difficult thing to do sometimes. What's incredible is that we, when you get behind the thoughts and practices of the day, what you see in the Bible is that over and over again, there's a new thing happening. There is this God who steps into our story to offer his divine love. And in the middle of your failure, he has the grace that speaks to you that says, I'm with you. Let's keep going. Like that's, that's the story. You made a mess and I'm with you. Do you want me to pour you another bowl of cereal? Try it again. So, so why is this story, why is a story like this even in the Bible? Like why, why is this story maintained? Why is it like, why did they feel it was valuable to share this story and to maintain this and to write, why? Well, maybe it's because it's a part of the overall insistence of the entirety of the Bible that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right? Here, here's a question, and this may help us to think through some of this a bit. Like, do you know when and where, like, the bulk of the Old Testament was written and compiled and edited and put together? Mo most scholars believe that it was in Babylon, in the exile. Right? The exile is this absolutely huge moment for the Jewish people that in the Christian church and the American church, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. It's just something that happened and we moved on. But most people believe it was put together and formed in, in, during the exile. What does that have to do with anything? Well, let's think back through this, this, this process. Former slaves wandering through the wilderness to a land that they've been promised. Because God has promised them. They finally make it there. They begin to establish this kingdom, this new kingdom. Uh, they build a permanent tabernacle. David unites the people through, uh, unites the land through himself. Then Solomon takes over and he begins to expand upon this kingdom. But in that process, Solomon uh, now uses slaves to build a temple to the God who liberates Slaves who liberated them from slavery. And then in, in this process, this whole thing starts to go off rails. And then you have these guys uh, show up called prophets. And they start speaking out against the empire. They start speaking out against the kingdom. And they say, if you don't turn from your ways, this whole thing's going to be taken from you. And it actually is. And then the Babylonians come and they squash this little kingdom. And they take a bunch of their people into exile. And that's why you have these people in exile. And it's when they're in exile, you have this Old Testament that's put together. So it's descendants of the people that we're reading of, speaking of right here in the book of Leviticus, that now are in Babylonian exile, 
far, far, far away from home, away from the land, away from the thing that is their promise, away from their temple, away from what they would say that those are the things that is God's presence to them. And so now they're separated from that. So here they find themselves in exile. And they're looking back at their story as a people group. And they're sorting through their history. And they're asking these questions like, how did we get here? Like, our ancestors were enslaved. We were freed. We were given a promise. And then we started to do the things right. But then also, like, now we're slaves again? Like, what happened? Maybe you know this feeling. If you've ever found yourself in a difficult spot in your life and you start thinking, how did I get here? And then what do you do in those moments? You start to retrace the steps like, okay, well, I made this decision and then this thing happened and that wasn't my, well, how did I get, so you start thinking through all of this stuff. They're, so these people are in exile and they're looking back on their story as they're putting the story together. And they include this particular story, chapter 10, about how their ancestors were set free and they were given this fresh start and they get the chance to be God's representatives to the world through how they live and move in the world. They have this new thing that's happening. They have all this potential for the good and then they make a mess of it. And then... In the middle of the mess, God doesn't abandon them. He doesn't leave them to their own devices. In the middle of the mess, this God insists that they keep moving forward. Is this why a story like this would have maintained value for thousands and thousands of years? If you're a people group who find yourself in exile, a people group who have made a mess of things, maybe a story like this would actually bring comfort and joy, maybe a story like this might actually bring some hope that in the middle of your exile, you get to hear, you get to read a story that says, your story is not over, which is like what chapter 10 is all about. How often do we make a mess of things? in our own lives? How often do we replay stories of our lives? Maybe it's this month, maybe it's this week, maybe it's just this day, but how often do we find ourselves in a place where things have fallen apart and we're really questioning what's happening and how did I get here and all this stuff, and you just wish you had somebody that could come alongside of you and say, it's going to be okay. In the middle of, of, of the difficulty, the hardship, the exile, in the middle of all that, you just wish somebody would come alongside of you and say, it's not the end. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful message when you get to the root of this thing. Like, uh, no matter how messy things may be, no matter how messy they may become, God's insistence is still the same. His grace continually moves us forward. His story, your story, is not over. Right? So in chapter 8 and 9, you have this, this rigidness to the story. And, and do this like this and do that like that. And when you do these things, you will experience God. And then in chapter 10, they make a mess of the whole thing. And you have this odd exchange between Moses and Aaron. Moses, you, they didn't do it the way, they says they didn't do it the way they're supposed to. And Aaron's like, yeah, but it's been a tough day and it's, I've, I've lost my sons. And Moses is like, okay, it's weird. So what you see is in the middle of this rigidness of Leviticus, all of a sudden you get this glimpse this glimpse of humanity, and it's a humanity that exhibits grace. You get this glimpse into the nature of God, and it reveals that God is still meeting them in the middle of the mess. 
And he's saying, let's keep going. Right? There's a whole new world just around the corner. Corner. This is an incredibly hopeful story about what is possible, all the while recognizing that we could make a mess of it. But even if you do, it's not the end. You see, this is just as relevant for us today as it was for them. How many of us need this message today? Maybe you've made some poor decisions recently. This is not the end. Maybe you've made a mess of things. Your story is not over. Maybe you find yourself in some sort of your own personal exile for something you've said, something you've done. I'm not giving up on you. Yeah, but I struggle with this temptation and this stuff, and I, and I give in more than I care to admit. And I, it's not over. I am with you. There's this guy in the New Testament named Paul. He wrote this thing in the book of Romans, and he said this, Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What? What are you worried about? There's this other guy named Jesus. He said this thing. He was talking about people going into all the world to spread his love. And he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. He is with you always. He is with you always. He is with you always. Is there something else that we need to hear? He is with you always. In the middle of facing a storm, He is with you always. Your storm may blow down, it may stand, I don't know, but He is with you always. There may be a mass shooting tomorrow like last week in the... He is with you always. Yes, the mess has been made, but the beauty of the story is that you have been invited to help move it forward. He is with you always. Whatever place you find yourself this morning, whatever thing you're wrestling with, whatever doubt you have, whatever fear you're living with, whatever mistakes you have made, whatever mistakes you will make, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. He is with you always. This is the message that sits at the heart of chapter 10. Isn't it fascinating in this passage in Romans, we talk about all these big things, neither death nor life nor angels or demons, present or future, any power height or depth, nothing from all of creation. We read and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we're thinking like abstractly, like the big things. We don't think about like the things right in front of us, right? Like the little things, like the storm, the things that I've done, the mistake I made. We, it's all the big stuff. And God says, no, no, no. Paul says, no matter what it is, there is nothing in all of creation. There is nothing in all of creation. Let me say it again. There is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God. So this thing here, chapter 10, 
this is the heart of that message. This is the thing that sits at the heart of chapter 10. God is with you. He is with you always. He will love you. He will bring you forward. No matter how big a mess you make, he will bring you forward. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. That's what sits at the heart of chapter 10, and that's what sits at the entirety, the heart of the entirety of the scriptures. And that, my friends, is good news. Amen. In the face of the storm, he is with you. In the face of the storms of life, he is with you. In the face of your fears and doubts, insecurities, uncertainties, he is with you. Today we're going to celebrate God being with us. We're going to take this meal, we take this little bread, and we take this juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, that represents that he is with you, that represents not only is he with you, but he actually came to walk among us, to become one of us, to take on flesh and blood, and to love, to love like we have never seen anyone ever love people.